Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am once again joined by PFF's lead fantasy analyst to help us recap a week where the injury Grim Reaper took aim at the quarterback position. Nathan Yonke. Nate, how are you today? Uh, doing fine. Uh, it was a bad day for quarterbacks and all the injuries. We'll go over waiver wires tomorrow and today while we go over the recap of the games yesterday, we mostly focus on player usage. So we won't be covering the quarterbacks too much today just because it's the quarterbacks on the field every play. So once someone was replaced, it's like this other guy was on the field and every situation, just like you always expect out of quarterbacks. But I did want to bring up one other thing before we get too far into it. We did have a fantasy matchup between you and I this past weekend. Um, I, you still have a 1% chance of winning, according to my fantasy league. All you need is Josh Jacobs to score 75 more fantasy points than yeah. Jared Goff, Devontae Adams, and Amon Ross St. Brown put together. So 1% chance, according to my fantasy league, that that happens. Hey, you're saying there's a chance, right? That's, that's what we're looking for, a chip and a chair out here. Uh, yeah, no, that is uh, that week uh, did not play out uh, very well for me. I, I, I think you had uh, C.D. Lamb and, and, yeah, somebody else. that uh, one of the other Yeah, and A.J. Brown. Yeah, yeah. And like, I Patrick all but one of my too. players scored touchdowns. Only one or two of your players scored touchdowns. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was not a good week for me over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, shout out to Patrick Mahomes for playing with the flu in that one. But um, it is what it is. You know, we uh, we can't win them all, as they say. But uh, yeah, we're onward and upward, obviously. But yeah, it's uh, it, it was another fun week in fantasy. Like you said, there were some big uh, scores this week, especially on the wide receiver side. And, and obviously, we got a lot of takeaways that we're going to go through as usual. Um, again, not necessarily going with through every single game, um, but we're going to focus on the top takeaways ways right from this weekend's game and nate you have all the uh takeaways up from every single game up on pff.com uh right now that people can go check out if there is something that we don't cover today that people want to hear about that um that you missed then you can go to the website right now check them out for free on pff.com all of this week's takeaways so uh, before we do get into it i want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor fabric by gerber life Fall is all about the back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required join the thousands of parents who trust fabric to protect their family apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com fantasy that's meetfabric.com fantasy m-e-e-t fabric.com fantasy policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions all right, let's kick things off with some takeaways at the running back position, starting first with the Seattle Seahawks, where we saw an increase in workload for Zach Charbonnet, the rookie second round pick out of UCLA, who actually outsnapped Kenneth Walker this week, 32 to 24. So, Nate, what do you think was the reason for this uh, uh, change in, in week eight? Uh, it was a combination of things. Uh, first off, it's worth noting that Kenneth Walker didn't practice earlier in the week because of cap injury. 
Uh, so he played a little bit less than usual, which wasn't all that surprising considering the injury. But once you started breaking things down by situation, it wasn't actually a huge change for Kenneth Walker. He was still seeing the clear majority of snaps on early downs at 22 compared to 10, took the goal line snap and took the short yardage snaps or took one of the three short yardage snaps. So really wasn't a huge difference for him in terms of his role in the offense. The big thing was what happened on third downs and the two-minute drill. And that's a situation where we had seen DJ Dallas playing at least half of those snaps. Sometimes it was the two-minute drill he was seeing more of. Sometimes it was third downs, and it was him and Charbonnet kind of splitting those snaps. And this week, it was Charbonnet taking all of those snaps. And DJ Dallas was not on the injury report. He was still playing on special teams. So this was a big step in the right direction for Charbonnet that he was taking all the passing down work. Um, I will expect going forward him to take a little bit less on early downs with Kenneth Walker is 100%. And it's worth noting the Seahawks had a lot of snaps in third downs and two-minute drill situations. So it was 20 of about their 60 snaps, so a third of their snaps, which is pretty high for a team in a given week. So even if Walker was at 100%, I wouldn't be surprised if Charbonnet potentially outsnapped Walker in this one. So a lot of it had to do with game script. A lot of it had to do with Charbonnet overtaking DJ Dallas. So even though it's injury related and I try not to focus too much on, hey, this guy was injured this week. He should be fine next week. So, yeah, we saw a one week difference in usage, but it doesn't mean much long term. In this specific case, Charbonnet playing DJ Dallas on passing situations is something we can expect going forward. So good news for Charbonnet that he should see more opportunities going forward. Yeah, yeah, that was nice to see for sure. And it was nice to see him be effective with his touches as well as uh, 10.6 yards per carry and a couple nice 20-yard runs in there. Um, so, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of inefficient running backs that we'll talk about today, but it was nice to see at least uh, Zach Charbonnet kind of be effective with his touches. Um, and if he does get a little bit more of a workload, he could potentially be somebody uh, in, in those deeper leagues that we're putting in flex positions or, or starting, depending on bye weeks and injuries and things like that. So uh, good stuff there. Um all right, so for another interesting running back situation, and one we've talked about a fair bit uh, the, over the past few weeks, the Carolina Panthers, uh, where Miles Sanders did return to the lineup for the first time since week five, I guess it was, but it was Chuba Hubbard who once again led the way for the Carolina backfield, Nate. Oh, yeah, this was a nice one because we have been talking about this for a while, and a lot of people seem surprised how much Hubbard played this past week over Sanders, and it's something that we've been pointing to I think since about week four or so, once we saw Hubbard take the majority of early down work and Sanders play more of a third down role. And there were reports, I believe it was Tom Pelissero, uh, saying basically that's what he expected coming into the week. And it was that, except Hubbard also took the majority of third down snaps and the two-minute drill. Uh, Sanders, when he was on the field, a lot of times it was in passing situations, just not necessarily third down passing situations. So uh, he did get involved a little bit in the offense. And even Raheem Blackshear, who uh, was the backup in week six when Sanders was out, Blackshear still saw roughly as many snaps as he did two weeks ago, even with Sanders back. So Hubbard ran the ball 15 times, caught two passes, wasn't very effective when he was running the ball. But when you can get a guy who's touching the ball 17 times, and ex expected to continue having this role going forward. And he's on the waiver wire in over half of leagues. Uh, I've had him as a top waiver wire ad for the last month or so. I'm 
guessing this will be the last week where we'll be able to have him as a waiver wire at. Yeah, I feel like this will be the last time we talk about it for sure. And and look, yeah, like you said, he wasn't overly effective this week, but it hasn't been like a, a major issue for him all season long. He's actually been pretty effective uh, for the most part. And yeah, like Sanders just not really involved at all, just two carries and zero yards on the day. So um, yeah, nice to see Chuba Hubbard continuing that workload with Sanders back in the lineup. Um, all right, uh, let's see from... Yeah, where are we going here? Denver. Um, it, it appears that uh, Javante Williams could potentially be, uh, you know, a running back to relieve some headaches for fantasy manager managers here. Um, he carries the ball 27 times for 85 yards, adds three catches for 13 yards and a score as a receiver. Nate, Javante Williams uh, basically dominated the backfield touches this week. Um, how did the snap shake out for the Denver backfield? Oh, yeah, this was a pretty big step in the right direction. Williams, someone for the previous two years, we were hoping that he would have this kind of every down role, and he was kind of going further away from that this year with Samaje P. Ryan taking passing down situations. And then Julio McLaughlin looking good every time that he's touched the football so far this year. Uh, when Williams went down with injury, McLaughlin looked good. And once Williams came back from injury, it was kind of a split on early downs between Williams and McLaughlin. Uh, last week that started to go a little bit back more in Williams favor. And then this week it was significantly more uh, with the 27 carries while uh, they uh, shut down the Kansas city chiefs. McLaughlin only ran the ball. I think it was four times. He was still looking really good when he was running the ball, gained 33 yards on those four carries, but Williams was just consistently getting the football. Um, the only problem is P Ryan is still taking the clear majority of snaps on third downs and two minute drill situations. So he's not quite where we were hoping he would get to last season, but still uh, back at a point now where he's worth considering for fantasy starting lineups where before when he was splitting snaps with McLaughlin on early downs, probably not as reliable. So Williams is someone I think that can be a little bit more dependable going forward, at least in games where Denver should at least keep the game close or if they are favorites in any game. Yeah, really nice stuff to see there from Javante Williams. And yeah, he saw all seven of the team's goal-to-go snaps as well. Um, he played 17 of their 21 red zone snaps. Piran just played two of those. So um, definitely positive usage there for Javante Williams. I know they got a bye week next week, so chance to kind of continue um, that this workload with another full week of rest coming off that, that injury as well, the ACL. So um, at least good to see them kind of ramp up his workload right before the bye week as well to test him out. So um, hopeful there for... Uh, uh, Javante Williams. Um, but yeah, from one running back who I think we could be hopeful about uh, to a situation that at least has me kind of down in the dumps about the Minnesota Vikings and a couple of guys who are averaging about two yards per carry this week and Alexander Madison and Cam Akers. Uh, Nate, is there any positive outlook for, for these guys for fantasy purposes based on this game? Uh, not currently, no. Since one, like you were saying, the efficiency wasn't there, which isn't great, but also the role of what these running backs are playing has become so unpredictable. It's not only changing what they're doing from one week to another, but from one quarter to another, they're uh, significantly changing their strategy. Uh, we had seen three or two weeks ago, Madison kind of take over the backfield again, and that carried on into the following week. He ran the ball five times in the first quarter last week where Akers didn't run the ball at all in the first quarter, but then that completely switched. Akers kind of took over the backfield for the other three quarters, ran the ball 10 times in the final three quarters compared to three for Madison. 
So it seemed like we were heading in a direction where Acres was kind of taking over. Um, Acres kind of continued that to start this game. Uh, in the first half, uh, he ran eight times, including a touchdown compared to four by Madison. So it seemed like Acres was kind of becoming the guy. He was even averaging more yards per carry over that time, averaging 2.6 compared to 1.5 by Madison. But for whatever reason, in the second half, uh, they decided to let Madison take over again. He dominated carries with 12 compared to just one by Acres in the second half of this game. So we swung back to it being Madison's backfield. So next week, we don't know what will happen. It, based on what we've seen the last couple of weeks, Madison will start doing well to start the game. And even if he's playing well, it'll shift to Acres. It'll be it's understandable when we see like a running back have a good carry and he starts getting more playing time or we see a running back fumble and he starts losing playing time. But these past two weeks, it's kind of been, here's a running back. He starts doing well. Okay. Now it's time to switch back to the other running back. And we've seen both of them play well at times. We've seen both of them play poorly at times. So kind of hard to trust either running back going forward until we start seeing at least some consistency over the course of four consecutive quarters. Yeah, it's it's not often you see a team like avoid the hot hand at running back, right? Where they start to see a guy playing well and then, you know, go to the other guy who's who's been ineffective. And and really both of these guys have been ineffective this season too, which is kind of crazy considering how well like the Minnesota like offensive line and and them as a unit have been as far as run blocking goes. I know they weren't great run blocking this week, but coming into the week they were the number one graded run blocking unit uh in the league over there in Minnesota and they'll still be top 5 by by the end of this week but it just it's hard to watch you know a couple guys that you know alexander madison 46th in yards per carry among 65 running backs cam makers uh 64th among 65 so you know they have this advantage uh, among their offensive line but just not doing anything with it so i it's really hard to trust these guys i write the o-line d-line article every single week and i, I put it madison in there early in the season but hard to put him in there when there's not really any underlying metrics to point to him, you know, being good or being able to take advantage of the, the, the offensive line advantage that they give him in the trenches. So I don't know. I, I I'm pretty frustrated with both of these, with this Minnesota running back situation. I, I don't think I'd be starting them on pretty much any week. Cause I think most leagues that are starting two running backs, you're probably not putting any of these guys in the flex either. So um, yeah, tough to tough to trust the Minnesota running backs, especially when you see the usage like that as well. So um, I, I can add uh, with Kirk Cousins, he's expected to miss the season. We'll probably get confirmation yeah. on that later today. It will be interesting to see how that ends up impacting the offense going forward. They probably do need to rely more on the running backs, just depending on what quarterback ends up taking over in the long term, because they have a couple different options there. But they could be relying more on running backs. That could also mean defenses are trying harder to stop the run, but it's not like the running backs can be that much less effective than they've been so far. So we might see more volume in general out of the running backs. We just don't know which one will be getting the volume at any given time. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a scary uh, thought to think right there. Um, but yeah, let's go to the uh, Houston Texans running back situation. Another one where there's maybe some shared workload here um, between Damian Pierce, Devin Singletary, um, and Mike Boone. So, Nate, what did the usage uh, look like for this backfield um, in Week 8? It was pretty similar to what we saw two weeks ago. Houston had their bye last week, and we had seen Devin Singletary play a lot more on early downs that 
that was a situation where Damian Pierce had been pretty well dominating snaps for the past two seasons. So it was pretty notable two weeks ago that Singletary was starting to see more playing time. And I had wanted to see it for another week before I started to really trust it just in case something was up with Pierce, if they were trying to send a message, whatever reason. But we saw a lot of the same this week. Um, Pierce ended up leading the team in carries, uh, 12 carries for 46 yards, Singletary not far behind with 10 carries for 30 yards. The one frustrating thing about Singletary here is he was seeing a clear majority of snaps on third downs for a couple weeks there. But now that he's playing more on early downs, rather than having him have this really large workload, it's been Mike Boone playing more on third downs. So not the greatest for Singletary, since ideally he would be playing those third down snaps in order to potentially trust him more for fantasy. Still have him as a decent waiver wire addition at this point, because there's a chance he could overtake Pierce sometime uh, Pierce had multiple opportunities for touchdowns, uh, got very close a couple of times here and there, but did not end up scoring. So pretty disappointing for Pierce fantasy managers here, but I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to see this kind of three-man backfield going forward, which is not ideal for fantasy managers, but Houston's offense has had some pretty good weeks and I think they have the potential to continue doing well going forward. So a chance that Pierce, even in this role, could be fantasy relevant or Singletary, even in this role, could be fantasy relevant. But right now, probably not one where I'd be looking to put someone in my fantasy starting lineup. Yeah, it's always hard when these guys are kind of limiting each other's usage and and, and upside across the board, right? Like Pierce getting the goal line, Boone getting the third down. It's just, it, it's hard to trust any one guy, but it would be nice to see somebody kind of emerge there um, to trust for fantasy purposes. But um, speaking of a uh, running back that we can definitely trust for fantasy purposes, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars running back situation. Travis Etienne um, has really been on a heater the, the past couple of weeks or all season, really. He's got six of his eight games resulting in a top 10 PPR running back finish. He's likely now going to have four straight weeks of top five PPR uh, RB finishes. Um, Travis Etienne has been on fire, Nate. So what is uh, what have things looked like over there in Jacksonville? Sure. Like you said, everything's been going very well for ETN. And a lot of times when I'm doing this top 10 recap or my recaps in general, I'm not talking too much about the star player since Travis ETN, based on everything I say today, you're, you were starting him before, you're still going to be starting him. That's not going to change, but I think it was still worth appreciating Jacksonville relying even more heavily on ETN this past week. Uh, he took all 33 offensive snaps in the first half. It was the first time all season that he played 100% of first half snaps. He had taken at least three plays off in each game uh, prior this season. And then in the second half, in the third quarter, there was about five minutes in the third quarter where he went to the medical tent. I don't recall seeing exactly what they were checking out during that time, but he came back after that and was just fine. But Tank Bigsby uh, played six offensive snaps in this game. All six of those snaps occurred while he was getting checked out. Uh, Dearness Johnson took three snaps in this game. Two of them occurred while ETN was out. So uh, once ETN went back in the game, he played all but one offensive snap. Uh, this was the first time that he had played over 88% of offensive snaps in the in his career so far and had he not been taken out and checked out for those couple of minutes he could have easily played over 95 percent of offensive snaps which have been which would have been a clear high for him uh this was the fourth time in his career where he had 24 or more carries which is great uh first time seeing a receiving touchdown which was a little surprising considering he came into the nfl 
uh, considered more of a receiving back a little bit. So great to see there. Career high 70 receiving yards. So a lot of good things out of him. Obviously, keep an eye on the injury report. I would expect him to be just fine considering he came back and continued to play uh, almost every single down once he was back on the field, but still worth checking out in general. But good to see out of ETN. He's one of the top fantasy players over the course of the rest of the season to have on your roster. So if you picked him, then you're happy you've had him in your lineup and you should continue to be happy that you have him. Yeah, he's been excellent. And I think it was an ankle that they were looking at. Um, and then like after he came back in the game was when he ripped off that big um, receiving touchdown. So he looked just fine too. And I, I believe they even got a bye week in, in week nine as well. So it just gives them some extra time to rest there if there is any kind of soreness there. But yeah, he's been awesome. I know we had concerns about maybe Tank Bigsby limiting his ceiling this season. It's really been the complete opposite of that. He, Bigsby's been basically a non-factor through the first half of the season and, and really no true signs of him kind of factoring in at all there. So yeah, Travis Etienne has really, really been great this year. Um, all right, before we go on to some wide receiver takeaways, uh, we do have a quick ad here from Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill-based, real-money, daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players if they will go more or less than their Prize Picks projection. Uh, you could win up to 25 times your money on any entry. So, Nate, we got Monday Night Football tonight. Raiders, Lions. Um, last Monday, I needed the Brandon Ayuk over five receptions, and that ended up being a wash uh, because he had exactly five receptions, and uh, they just didn't go to him in the second half, which was frustrating. So I'm going with the redemption pick this week. Another five reception over, and it's Jacoby Myers. Um, he's only been under five receptions once this year. He's had double-digit targets in four of six games this year. Jimmy G is back as well. So uh, my redemption pick for prize picks this week is Jacoby Myers over five receptions. There, I will go with Josh Jacobs under 61.5 rushing yards. They changed it by a yard or two since I last checked earlier this morning. So going to be a little bit tougher for him to stay under 61.5 yards. But it's been a mark where every time uh, throughout Jacobs career, whenever the Raiders are winning, that's when Jacobs tends to have really big games. And whenever the Raiders are losing, uh, that's when he struggles a little bit more. Uh, last year, we saw um, him do well, even when they were losing at times. But this year, that trend kind of has gone back to the way it's been in the past, where every time the Raiders have lost, uh, he's stayed pretty low in terms of rushing yards. So the Lions are clear favorites in this game. So expect the Lions to be winning. And the Lions, their run defense has been so good so far this season. Uh, they've allowed the second fewest fantasy points to running backs per game so far this year, uh, second fewest rushing yards per game. Uh, I believe the only running back who has gotten 60 rushing yards against them so far is Gus Edwards, but they have held a number of solid running backs under 60 yards. Uh, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Pacheco have been among those running backs. So I think this is one where, yeah, there's always a chance Jacobs is capable of breaking a long run, but he's averaged a pretty low yards per carry in every single game so far this season. And at the Lions, play as well as they have been at times this season the Raiders could be falling behind pretty early and being forced to pass the ball which helps Myers get his receiving uh, receptions up as well so hopefully those go hand in hand of Jacobs not getting many rushing yards and Myers getting plenty of receptions 
Love it. There we go. So yeah, Josh Jacobs under 61 and a half rushing yards. Jacoby Myers over five receptions. That's what we like tonight uh, on Monday Night Football. And at Prize Picks, you aren't just competing against other people. It's it's just you versus the projection. So go to prizepickscom slash Fantasy and use code Fantasy for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepickscom slash Fantasy. Use code Fantasy for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Nate, let's go on to some wide receiver takeaways and start with the Dallas Cowboys, where, yes, it was the C.D. Lamb show. He had 14 targets, 12 catches, 158 yards, two touchdowns. But there was some other uh, usage that's that's interesting here for the Dallas Cowboys uh, wide receiver room. What did we see here from uh, Dallas uh, this week, Nate? Uh, we saw Jalen Tolbert get a lot more involved in the offense and mostly in place of Michael Gallup. Uh, Tolbert was someone that last year was fairly disappointing, was a third-round rookie who barely saw any playing time, was inactive for several weeks early last season. So it was a disappointing rookie season out of him, but we saw a lot more positive news uh, this year in training camp. Uh, he had clearly won the fourth receiving role, which was good to see. Uh, in week two, we saw him be the clear third wide receiver with Brandon Cooks out with an injury. So was already trending in the right direction for Tolbert so far this season. But we saw him get really involved uh, even early in the game. This was a game where the Cowboys had a clear lead. So when I first saw the snack counts, I thought maybe it was just a case where Tolbert saw a lot of playing time late in the game. But even looking in the first quarter, uh, he and Gallup both played 10 of 18 first quarter snaps. Both of them ran seven routes. So it was really Tolbert playing equal to Gallup for a lot of this game. Uh, we saw both Gallup and Brandon Cooks get taken out of 11 personnel at times in favor of Tolbert. So Gallup and Cooks both played 28 of a possible 39 snaps compared to 22 by Tolbert. So Tolbert's still a pretty clear fourth on the depth chart, but Gallup was playing over 90% of offensive snaps in 11 personnel over the first six weeks. So this was a pretty clear drop off for Gallup in that situation. And then even in other personnel groups, Gallup only played in four of a possible 24 snaps. That includes 12 personnel, 13, 21. Uh, Cowboys like to mix things up a little bit here and there, but Gallup had been playing in at least 41% of offensive snaps in all other personnel groupings prior to this game. So only playing four of 24 was a pretty big drop off for Gallup there. Uh, Gallup was held to two receptions for 20 yards. Tolbert didn't catch his only target. So this didn't really lead to much fantasy production for Tolbert, but it did lead to a decline by, by Gallup. So Gallup is someone that I'd be fine cutting from my fantasy roster at this point. And I think at least in deeper leagues, it's worth considering Tolbert because there is a chance that he's able to break out over the second half of the season. This could be a trend that Tolbert does overtake Gallup as the third wide receiver as soon as this upcoming week. So Tolbert could be getting more involved going forward and he fits the bill of other young wide receivers who we've seen do a little bit so far this season that once we get past more of these bye weeks, your bench spot should be more young players who could break out at the end of the season more so than anything else. So, and at least deeper leagues, Tolbert's worth considering at this point. 
I like it. Yeah. Um, it's always good to see some of these young guys starting to kind of break out a little bit. And especially if, if Dak Prescott continues to play as well as he does, he, he was excellent um, this past week as well. Going to need to be uh, going against, I believe it's the Eagles in week nine as well. So tougher matchup for Dak and the Cowboys, but nice to see Jake, uh, Jalen Tolbert kind of get some increased work there. Um, let's talk about uh, the Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers again. We always do. Um, it's, it's worth bringing them up every single week because there's always something new to talk about. So this is your Kansas City Chief Weekly Update. Uh, Nate, what did the Chiefs wide receiver core show us in week eight? Uh, yeah, there are so many teams where the wide receivers are never really worth talking about because it's these are the two guys who are the starters. Here's the third guy that comes in and 11 personnel. It only ever changes with an injury. And a lot of times it's just a one for one replacement where the Kansas City Chiefs are constantly rotating what they're doing and have guys that are uh, coming back from injury or leaving the lineup, uh, we saw Justin Watson uh, suffer an injury two weeks ago. He was expected to miss a couple of weeks, but only ended up missing one game. So Watson was back for this game. Uh, we did see Justin Ross. Uh, he was put on an exempt list. He was arrested on charges of domestic battery. So he's probably going to miss a little bit of time at least. I'm not fully caught up on his legal situation but not expecting him to be playing again anytime soon and kansas city still had a six-man wide receiver rotation even without ross uh we see, saw watson back cut into marquez Vadis scantling's playing time uh Vadis scantling saw a bit of a boost last week uh had his best receiving game of the year because Vadis scantling and watson are the two deep threats so it made sense that watson would be cutting into Vadis scantling's playing time but we also saw Mecole Hardman playing more. Uh, he was traded back to Kansas City two weeks ago, uh, got eased into action last week, and his playing time basically doubled in this game. Uh, took snaps away from Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony. Uh, Tony's someone that I'm definitely fine dropping at this point. Um, saw season low amount of usage. Typically, when he was on the field, he was getting the ball a lot. But even in this game, he wasn't getting the ball all that much in his limited playing time. So he's more or less been phased out at this point, even though I believe he is healthy. Sky Moore, even in a lot of leagues, probably fine dropping him. Um, the good news is Rasheed Rice saw an ever so slight increase in playing time, despite Watson being back and Hardman getting more involved. So good to see out of Rice. Uh, caught four passes for 56 yards. So not the best game out of him, but still clearly leading the wide receiver room like he's done in several weeks and this wasn't the best game for kansas city's past offense in general so rice is someone who is still a probably a borderline fantasy starter at this point just depending on the matchup but he could continue to see an increase in playing time this was the third straight time where he saw more playing time than the previous week so continues to be on the rise and potentially could see more playing time going forward yeah, we talk about it each week, right? Um, it's nice at least that Rice is, you know, leading all the Kansas City offensive uh, receiving options. Players basically not named Travis Kelsey um, in total snaps here. Still just like 60% of the of the offensive snaps, though, like you said. And and yeah, 18.5% um, target rate isn't bad uh, is in this Kansas City offense. Unfortunately, the Kansas City offense wasn't clicking as usual um, this week with Patrick Mahomes dealing with, with a flu or, or some kind of illness that, that was obviously affecting him but um could potentially be useful like you said uh Rasheed rice but yeah not overly interested in the rest of the group considering uh how messy it can be over there so let's go on to uh, another wide receiver group and one we haven't talked about uh in a while here is the baltimore ravens wide receiver group nate um 
Odell Beckham, we saw him in this game. Obviously, Zay Flowers has kind of been their main go-to guy, but Rashad Bateman was also involved again this week. But it was there was some changes. What did we see from uh, Baltimore in Week Eight? Uh, yeah, if we had been doing the top 15 recap rather than top 10, we'd probably be talking about the Ravens wide receivers most weeks because they have been evolving a little bit over time. Uh, what we have seen the past couple weeks is Zay Flowers has been one of the wide receivers on the outside. Uh, we've seen Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman. A lot of the time they've been rotating by drive, taking one of the wide receiver spots. And then Nelson Aguilar has been playing as a third wide receiver and three wide receiver sets a lot of the time. Sometimes Devin DuVernay taking snaps from Aguilar here and there. Also in one wide receiver sets, it's often Aguilar. So that's often why you see someone like Zay Flowers not see 90 or sometimes even 80% of offensive snaps is sometimes they're using that three tight end set or fallback in two tight ends and their one wide receiver is Aguilar, even though it's more often than not a rushing play. Uh, what we saw different this week is instead of them rotating by drive, uh, Beckham and Bateman were more rotating by the personnel grouping they were using. We saw Beckham play a lot more in 11 personnel. Uh, they don't use a ton of 12 personnel, but uh, still playing more there where Bateman was playing the clear majority of snaps uh, in 21 personnel. So that meant Beckham was playing more in passing situations, Bateman playing a little bit more in rushing situations. Um, the big thing to note with his playing time in this game, because you wouldn't notice this just looking at the snap counts, but Beckham missed roughly a quarter of the game with a stomach contusion, uh, missed from about, I think it was the middle of the third quarter to the middle of the fourth quarter. And then he was able to return at the end of the game. So it was interesting to see his uh, playing time was roughly the same as it was last week, despite missing a quarter of the game. So had he not missed that time, I would have expected him to have his most snaps since week one, which is a game where Bateman was not able to play. So Beckham does seem to be pulling apart from Bateman, at least in passing situations. So there's at least a chance that Beckham could emerge. He would still be a third receiving option in Baltimore behind Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers. So not the biggest opportunity for Beckham, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some better receiving games out of Beckham going forward. So Maybe not someone to target so much in redraft leagues, but in DFS, if you're looking to take a flyer on someone, I think Beckham has better chances of having some big games in the future compared to what we've seen over the first half of the season. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And, and there was a point in the game, too, where he would look like visibly frustrated on the sideline as well at, at one point. I'm not sure if that was due to the injury or if he was upset about like his, his production or, or anything like that. But um, like, like you said, there's at least a chance that he kind of gets more involved here. And I think they're playing the Seahawks uh, next week as well. So somebody to kind of think about, at least for those deeper leagues or DFS options, like you said. Um and we do our Kansas City Chiefs uh, update every week. We also have a very common update and uh, uh, for another wide receiver group, and that is the New England Patriots. Nate, uh, we are once again talking about them. What did that? What were the changes with the, the Patriots group this week? Sure. So the big things coming into the week is Jalen Rager was signed to the active roster, not just caught up from the practice squad. So now he has a permanent roster spot, or at least. Uh, going forward, we expect him to be on the roster, and Juju Smith-Schuster, who had missed the last two games with a concussion, uh, was back on the active roster as well. So that left him with a lot of wide receivers. Tyquan Thornton was the odd man out. Um, he had played uh, the last couple weeks, but he was a healthy and active for this game. Um, so this left 
New England with five wide receivers, but they were really only using four of them for most of this game. Uh, Kendrick Bourne and Demario Douglas were playing 100% of snaps and 11 personnel. Uh, we had seen uh, early in the season Douglas play the majority of snaps, but Juju Smith-Schuster get involved. But Douglas appears to have completely won that job in that personnel grouping over Smith-Schuster. And then we saw Devontae Parker. Uh, he took 12 snaps, um, at least early in the game. And then Jalen Rager replaced him for five. I believe this was in the first half of the game. So Parker playing the majority of 11 personnel snaps and Rager playing a minority of them, which is similar to what we saw last week. And then in 12 personnel, we saw all four of those wide receivers basically play equal amount of snaps, all played between eight and 11 snaps in 12 personnel in the first half. Um, then we started seeing injuries to the Patriots wide receivers over the second half of the game. We saw Parker leave with a head injury in which Rager took over his spot completely. And then we saw Kendrick Bourne suffer a knee injury in the fourth quarter, and he did not return. So Smith-Schuster uh, had been seeing significant playing time in 12 personnel throughout the season when he was healthy, was not seeing any playing time until the Bourne injury happened. And then he started seeing playing time in both 11 personnel and 12 after the Bourne injury. So um, coming into the game, it seemed like a situation where the Patriots seemed destined to trade at least one of their wide receivers, considering they had five on the active roster and two inactive for this game. So it seemed to make sense that they would move at least one of them. But now with these injuries, it's a little hard to tell. Would expect Parker to not miss too much time, um, assuming it's a tight concussion. So he might miss a game or two. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with Bourne's injury. Uh, he was someone that there were trade talks that maybe they might move on from him, but he has been their clear top wide receiver this season. Mario Douglas also playing well. So will be interesting to see if anything happens at the trade deadline. Uh, Demario Douglas is at least intriguing considering he saw a bit more playing time in this game compared to any game we've seen so far this season, despite Juju Smith-Schuster uh, healthy and playing. So Douglas is someone who could emerge at the Patriots offense is playing better and especially if they move on from Bourne, but it might be a lot harder to trade him now that he's had this injury. Yeah, just a really interesting group. I appreciate you going through them all like that. And yeah, DeMario Douglas definitely feels like the most interesting one uh, of the group there. And despite, you know, this Patriots offense is not amazing by any means as far as, you know, a passing volume or, or anything like that. But there could potentially be some um, still some fantasy value to squeeze out of guys like a DeMario Douglas, for example, like you said. So yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that that's going to do it for for pretty much all of our our main takeaways here this week. Um, I, again, if there was something that we didn't cover this week that you're hoping to to hear about or read about, we have that up on pff.com. Nate has all those game by game uh, write ups up for free right now, uh, so you can go check those out. Uh, Nate, thank you for for going through this this big slate of games we had no bye weeks this week so i appreciate you going game by game once again um not taking a break uh obviously so thank you very much and and yeah let the fine folks know what else you got up on the site this uh today uh yeah so we have all 14 games from yesterday nine from the early slate which i got them all up by the time the latest slate was done so i was happy with that but got all those games up and also have uh, the waiver wire article, definitely an interesting week for waivers, which we'll go over tomorrow. Definitely quarterbacks are the intriguing one with all the injuries we had. And the trade deadline is also tomorrow. So worth 
potentially waiting for the trade deadline to finish before making your waiver claims just because some of the biggest running backs or wide receivers available could depend on what happens at the trade deadline. So we have that. I will talk about waivers tomorrow. We'll be writing five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high, which will be going up tomorrow. Rest of season rankings will also be going up tomorrow. Have the Monday night football recap tonight and we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, yeah, uh, again, thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe at like and subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel. Uh, also, a massive thank you again to the PFF Data Collection team, the best data collection team in the multiverse for crushing another weekend of football so that we could bring you all of this wonderful data. Um, we will be back tomorrow, like Nate said, talking top waiver wire targets. So good luck with your Monday Night Football matchups tonight. And until next time, peace out.